0: Hello! Welcome to a brand new episode of The Search for Something. I'm your host, Brian Hutchins. So, uh, you may be wondering where I've been, and the answer is, I've been right here. I just haven't pressed record. I forgot to. Uh, no, but actually, I've been quite busy. I got promoted at my job, and then I ended up starting college. And, um, then I was playing Call of Duty in the middle of a pandemic when my job stopped. So, now I'm back to work, and busier than ever. And I was like, now is a great time <laughs> to start recording podcasts again. So here we are. And yes, I'm doing a podcasting voice because it's fun. Last time you were here, you may recall, it was called VGTR, the podcast. And it was basically named after my blog. Well, I decided to stop doing that because no one knew what VGTR is. But also, now, no one knows what the search for something is. So essentially, I'm going to follow a similar um format, but instead of just giving you a movie review each week, I'm going to talk about something that I find interesting. Um, and there are a lot of things to talk about. Oh my goodness. So there was the capital attack. There's COVID. I, I haven't addressed any of these. Heck, I didn't even address in game. That's how long it's been. I think the last time I recorded an episode would have been like November, 2019. No, November, 2018. Holy crap. So it's been a while. Regardless, in that time, I have adopted a new love of 80s action films. Maybe this is because I ran out of modern action films to watch or some crap like that, Uh, but it all started last summer. I went to McKay's, which is a local uh, used bookstore, but they have a massive table of DVDs, all $2 and under, most of them a quarter, and um, I bought a ton of movies. I bought like 100, well, that's an exaggeration. I bought 70 movies. 70 DVDs, and then I've got a subscription to, like, all-day services. So I just started watching movies. And one of my favorites that I watched last summer was um, RoboCop. I love RoboCop. Oh, my God. But um, The Predator, or not The Predator, Predator, the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger, was another movie that really stood out. And to me, that, like, cemented Arnold Schwarzenegger as the guy I like. I was like, I need to watch more Arnold movies. Well, it took me quite a while. But I finally got there, and um, I watched some of the Terminator movies. Now, I haven't watched all of them. I've just seen Terminator, Terminator 2, uh, Terminator Salvation, and Terminator Dark Fate. And all of those were fantastic. So I'm missing Genesis, which I own, and Terminator 3, which I think is on HBO, but it's, it's somewhere. I will watch it eventually. So being the nitpicky person that I am, a film student, basically... I noticed some problems with the way that the Terminator films approach time travel. Now, I know most people have a preconceived notion of how time travel works. That's fine. It basically comes from Back to the Future. It's like, oh, you travel to the past, you change something. When you go forward, something's different. But that's not how time travel works, at least in uh, a lot of the more modern interpretations. Avengers gets around this by being like, oh, alternate dimensions, which, you know, that's a fun idea. But none of this is proven. If you're looking at time travel the way that it needs to be done, basically it's always going to be a paradox. Shows like Doctor Who have been addressing this for quite a while now. Uh, There's one episode with Peter Capaldi where he addresses the bootstrap paradox, and he essentially says, Imagine that you're a big fan of Beethoven. You go back in time, you take your Beethoven sheet music to be signed, but then you find out that Beethoven's not there, no one knows who he is, not even his family. So then anonymously, you get a sheet music published and then put out there and you become Beethoven in that moment, right? And so then Beethoven is basically a ghost figure created by you as you've traveled back. But then the bigger question that that leaves is how the heck does the music exist? Because Beethoven never existed. So then you have this music, you took it back, you're Beethoven, but you don't write music. You're not a musician. So that's the paradox that it creates. But, in this version of time travel, which is kind of what Doctor Who does, but not all the time, uh, there is really no future that you go to after altering the past, like an altered future. That always was the future. So in this paradox, that's how time always moves. Now, if you look at the original Terminator film, it is the best, best, best portrayal of this exact paradox, because you have Kyle Reese, who was sent back in time by John Connor, to protect Sarah Connor while she's pregnant from the Terminator, right? But here's the big catch. She's not pregnant yet, and it is Kyle Reese that fathers the child with Sarah Connor, meaning that Kyle Reese is John Connor's father. So then essentially, if Kyle Reese was never sent back, John Connor would have never been born, meaning that Kyle Reese would have never been sent back. It's an endless loop of like time travel that'll just make your brain melt. So that's where I want to get into something with you. That's all fine. Terminator 1 is predestination time travel. The bootstrap paradox, all because of Kyle Reese. That is the same way that time travel is handled in films like Tenet or Interstellar, the Christopher Nolan crap. But then we get into the sequel, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which many people consider to be better than Terminator 1. They're not wrong, um, but it changes things to where nothing is set that they can change the future. And this is kind of alluded to in the first one, but it doesn't exactly happen. And essentially, I'm gonna not worry about spoilers because this movie came out 30 years ago, um, they end up stopping Skynet from being developed so soon. Effectively delaying Judgment Day for a few more years. Now, depending on the timeline that you follow, you've got Terminator 3 and Terminator 4 and Terminator Genesis, And those movies do follow the timeline that, oh, they just delayed Judgment Day. But Dark Fate, the most recent film, and the most fun film to come out post-Terminator 2, does something a bit different. It ignores the ludicrous events of Terminator Genesis, and Terminator 3 with Teenage John, and also Terminator Salvation, which I liked. But uh, it ignores those, essentially saying that Judgment Day was stopped because they stopped it in T2 and then a secondary Terminator came and killed John like a few months later and Sarah Connor's been living in regret her entire life. So because of this, in the future, something like Skynet, I forget what it's called, but something like Skynet which makes Terminator machines does come about, but it's much, much, much later and someone else is the defender of humanity in this version of the storyline. But you see, I have a big problem with this because... If John Connor dies in the months following Terminator 2, that means that he would have never met Kyle Reese, which means that Kyle Reese would have never went back in time to father John Connor. You see what I'm saying? If John dies, the plot of Terminator doesn't happen, and if the plot of the first Terminator film does not happen, there's no freaking way that Terminator 2 can happen. And if Terminator 2 doesn't happen, well, buddy, Dark Fate doesn't happen either. So, you see this chain of events, the domino effect. You can't change time in this way for stories to make sense. And that is what bothers me about the Hollywood-style time travel that we see so often. It, like, ignores things and uses paradoxes all the time, and it just doesn't make sense! Now, that's not to go without saying. Maybe they have thought through this a bit more than I have. Because there is a line in the first Terminator film where Kyle Reese says he's from a possible future. So then I guess all the other movies are alternate futures. But I don't really see how that makes any sense. Because, like, there's only one future he could come from. And that future directly ties back into the first film. Like, it is an actual loop. And these events do have to happen. And I would say that even the original timeline of them destroying Skynet in Terminator 2... Doesn't necessarily go against the story in the same way that dark fate just like completely breaks the first movie because paradoxes can't happen unless they, they it always happens that's the thing it always has to happen. That's like an interstellar I was watching it with my friend and he was saying, Oh, so how did humanity get off earth to create the wormhole and then send it back in time if there wasn't a way to get off the earth and that's where i I actually came up with the idea for this. I was like, dude. They always got off the earth. In any version of history, they always got off of the earth. And they always sent the wormhole back. And so in Terminator, the only way that the films happen is if John sends Kyle back to impregnate Sarah. I'm just saying, that's the only way that those films happen. And even though Dark Fate is like a surprisingly fun movie, I remember calling it the Pacific Rim of 2019. Because if you don't know this, I freaking love Pacific Rim. Um, And I also really liked Dark Fate, but when you look at it as part of a series, it just doesn't make sense. The time travel is messy, it is convoluted, and even though they were like, we're going to hit the reset button, they did not do a good job of hitting that. They made a good movie, like a standalone movie, but it is not a great movie in terms of franchise and storytelling and all the things that necessarily matter. Now, probably, again, the most logical explanation for this is going to be alternate timelines, And frankly, there's not going to be another Terminator movie because Dark Fate was not a box office success. Um, But maybe if they had explained this um, the alternate timeline theory or that sort of thing earlier on in the movies, it would make more sense to me. But they don't really do that. I think they might in Genesis. But in general, they don't do that in the movies that matter. And therefore, that breaks the entire plot of Dark Fate because Sarah Connor could not be there to help them if the future was changed. That's all I'm saying. Now, I already kind of touched up on this, but uh, Marvel is using branching timelines, which were introduced in Endgame, to expand their cinematic universe. Because how the heck do you move past Endgame? Like, you killed off Iron Man, you made Captain America old, Uh, Hulk is like a professor now, and you're basically leaving Spider-Man, who is a teenager, as the most powerful Avenger. So, you know, they're going to be using these alternate reality branches that were introduced by stealing the Infinity Stones to make more content. And the first example of this that I have is the Loki TV show. If you look at the trailer, essentially it's following Loki after he escapes with the Tesseract in that scene from Endgame. And because of what happened there, Cap and Iron Man had to go back in time further to steal the Tesseract. And um, so yeah, Loki is completely set in an alternate timeline. After watching the first episode of WandaVision today, I'm actually... Pretty sure that it's set in an alternate timeline as well. And seeing as we're moving towards the new Doctor Strange movie, which is titled In the Multiverse of Madness, it really wouldn't surprise me that this really is the direction that they're going. Maybe Iron Man's going to come back being played by a different actor. Maybe that's how they're going to introduce Fantastic Four. We really don't know, but it, it it's an exciting time to be a Marvel fan. But they explained it. They've explained how this is happening. They had this little scene where... They had, like, an astral projection PowerPoint between um, the Sorcerer Supreme and, um, no, the Ancient One, between the Ancient One and Hulk in New York during the Battle of Manhattan. So, we know how this happens. We also know how the paradoxes and stuff like that work in Christopher Nolan's films. So, I just don't see why the Terminator films couldn't have come up with a better explanation besides, it looks cool, because that's essentially all it is. All actions have consequences, and in the case of the Terminator films, it seems like The consequences of their time travel is not really shown because it's just like, clean slate, guys, let's go forward. And that's, it just, it's lazy writing, honestly. Even if it's a fun action film, it's just kind of lazy. So, I really liked Terminator Dark Fate when I first saw it and when I rewatched it, but then after watching Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, it just kind of broke that movie for me. And, um, it's messy. That's all I got to say about that. Well, moving on to happier topics. Um, Also, recently, by recently, I mean like October, I started collecting comic books again. It's been like five years, but it gives me something to look forward to on Wednesdays. I mean, it's not a lot of books, but I get um, Action Comics, Superman, The Amazing Spider-Man, Detective Comics, and Fantastic Four. So it's nothing like extravagant. It's just the characters I care about. But I'm bringing it up right now because... um, I guess this came out last month, but I just picked it up this week, um, is Action Comics 1028 and Superman 28, which were the uh, final issues of Brian Michael Bendis' run on both books. So if you're not familiar with Brian Michael Bendis, he's a writer most famous for his Marvel work. Uh, He was the creator of Ultimate Spider-Man and then later Miles Morales, who was the protagonist of Into the Spider-Verse, if you've seen that movie. So he's a pretty, like, renowned writer within the comic book world. And in 2018, he switched from Marvel to DC specifically to write both Superman comic books. So logically, I was pretty stoked about that when I heard of it. And um, I forgot right after. So many months go by, and then in October, I'm in a comic book store and see that. And that's actually what made me subscribe. It was his Superman books and... J.J. Uh, J. Abrams had a Spider-Man book going on at the time, so I picked up all of those. But uh, Brian Michael Bendis' run just came to an end. And I gotta say, the ending was really like lackluster and somewhat rushed. And that's a shame, because I was really enjoying the plot arc that he had going in action comics. It was like a Superman family thing, and Connor Kent, who's a clone of Superman and Lex Luthor. Uh, Superboy, which is um, Jonathan Kent, his son supergirl and crypto and someone else uh were all there together and it was just fun like it was a guilty pleasure superman story it was nothing deep but it was fun like to be honest i was looking forward to this book quite a bit now superman on the other hand always has been more focused just on superman whereas action comics is the ensemble book and the story in superman was like pretty sci-fi and i don't remember what was happening in between the months I remember picking it up and liking it, and then that was about it. Um, but I bought backwards somewhat from there, and I've been trying to collect all of Bendis's run because you can find it pretty cheap at, at McKay's or other bookstores like that where people have traded them in. Um, and I enjoy his style of writing. I, just, I feel like Action Comics 1028 was rushed, uh, especially in how it ends it. And then after I was doing some research, apparently the ending of it is the same ending that, um, like, a mini series about Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal. Um, it's the same ending that a book about Jimmy Olsen had months ago, and it just now caught up, like, four months later. So that kind of explains why it feels sluggish. But um, it was a very joyful, like, time right up until the end. Like, I still enjoyed the issue, but up to the point that the ending happened, let me open it and find the spot I'm talking about. Okay, so this one acts as an epilogue to the main story, and essentially um, all the characters of the Super family get some kind of resolution or moment with uh, Clark. And the best moment is he has some time with his son, which is long overdue because in Michael uh, Brian Michael Bendis' run, he actually sent Jonathan Kent to the distant future, and Superman like lost like 10 years of parenting his son, so now his son's a teenager and is kind of a douche, but they have a moment where they go stop some crimes together and they're like, we're going to go get tacos. But then they end up assisting Batman and Robin. And so then Batman and Robin, who's uh Damian Wayne, Batman's son, go and get tacos with them. And it, it's a cool moment. It has a lot of momentum, but then it just kind of abruptly ends. And then he's like, well guys, thanks for the last two years. And it's like, oh, so that's it. Okay. Now, the regular Superman book ended a bit more abruptly than Action Comics, but like I said, I wasn't as closely following the story in that particular title. Now, like I said, I'm getting Detective Comics and Amazing Spider-Man, so at some point I'll probably get on and talk about those. Amazing Spider-Man's current run is pretty awesome, and I bought backwards like almost a year and a half's worth of that, so I'm pretty up-to-date on what's going on with Spidey and can attest Nick Nick Spencer's doing a bang-up job. I'll probably talk about that next time, and I will do a regular movie review, as I know all of you just so, so, so much want. Um, But I thank you for tuning in. I know this episode was a bit shorter, and definitely that little bit about comic books was a rant, because not in my show notes. I was like, yeah, I'm going to talk about it. So, as always, please subscribe, save yourself from the pending zombie apocalypse, and I'll talk to you soon.